Let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father God, we come before you once again thanking you for allowing us to come together to worship. Uh, Father, we're just truly grateful for everything that you've done for us. And God, we're just so amazed by how you've changed lives. It's just encouraging to hear uh, what you've done in our sister Jackie's life and just to see how the cross uh, doesn't just initially change our lives but continues to change our lives and what you're doing in, in young men like Manny and, and throughout all of our lives who've made you Lord. I pray that you'll always help us to see uh, the powerful, uh, transformative power of the cross in our lives on a, on a daily basis. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll continue to be with us as we strive to restore and recommit ourselves to uh, the covenant relationships we find in your word. Um, I do want to offer up uh, Dylan's mom before you, Father. We do pray that you will be with her as she goes through her health challenges uh, uh, right now, God. We just pray that you'll strengthen her, you'll encourage her, that you'll encourage, uh, encourage Dylan and his family, uh, Denise and the rest of the family, God. We pray that you'll help them to find strength in you and that you'll help her to find a renewed strength in you, Father. And we pray that you'll help our worship today to be pleasing to you as you give us strength to follow your word. And for those of us who are on the fence and who are still uh, not sure if we want to commit our lives to you, God, I pray that you will uh, show them in an uncom uh, a, a uncom uh, uncompromising way that uh, your way truly brings uh, fruit to our lives and give us a life of blessings and a life of peace with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are coming to a close with our Covenant Relationship Series. I hope it's been helpful for you as it has uh, for me. You know, it's funny how you, uh, you preach something and then God gives you the opportunity to put it into practice shortly afterwards. And uh, so I, I'm looking forward to uh, some reconciliation and some, some growing and, and uh, adding some more depth to my, some of my relationships. But I just want to recap for some of us who are new, or maybe this is, you're just uh, visiting with us today. Uh, but we, we started a series of way back uh, talking about covenant relationships. And it's really not just a series. This is a call back to recommitting ourselves to relationships that will help us grow in the Lord. And then we understand that God has set these relationships up for us so that we can grow, so that we can be our best for him, but also so that we can benefit from these relationships and that we can have people in our lives that can help us see the blind spots that are in our relationships and help us to become more like Jesus because it's not about just coming to church, is it? No, it's about transforming our lives into the likeness of, of Jesus Christ because that is God's plan for us. And so we, we talked about some, uh, some important principles like needing to recommit to one another relationships. You can call them mentoring. You can call them uh, apprentice. Whatever you want to call it doesn't matter as much as we recommit to these relationships. Amen? So you can call it whatever you want. I like discipling, but hey, some people like other words. It's fine with me, whatever floats your boat, as long as we commit to these relationships. Um, and then we talked about organic versus intentional. You know, some people just feel like, hey, I just want my relationships to happen naturally. I just want them to organically happen. Well, we know that weeds organically happen, right? And, and weeds can pop up in our lives without you even trying. And weeds are powerful. Just walk outside and you'll see these little plants coming up through the concrete. That's weed. Strong. Imagine a weed growing up in your life. So we understand that we don't just want these relationships to happen organically. We want to be intentional about our relationships. We, we want, to be, we, we want to, to, to be deliberate about investing in each other's lives. So we talked about that. We also talked about reconciling relationships. And that can be challenging, right? You know, especially when, when one person feels slighted and, 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 and you don't necessarily see it. It's always bigger in, in the offended person's eyes than it is the offender or perceived offender, isn't it? I mean, it's like, well, you made me feel this and all this, and, and you're like, what? And, you know, I didn't even know you felt that way. And, then, and so, but the whole point of that is that you get it out in the open so that you can work together to reconcile the relationship. And it's challenging, but we got to do it. You can't avoid it, 
And even if you try to avoid it and have avoided it for years, God will always bring you back. Whether it be the same relationship or relationship with someone else. If you're in the habit of avoiding conflict, God will force you to deal with it eventually. Why? Not because he doesn't want you to get away. It's because he wants you to grow. He wants you to grow. He wants you to thrive. And so today we're going to talk about the rewards of relationships. And this is going to, I'm going to break this up into two parts because there's a lot uh, to cover. And I don't want to, you know, short side us, but the question is, is it worth it? Is it really worth reinvesting, recommitting to relationships? You know, I've asked myself that question several years ago. Is it really worth putting my heart back out there again? Because when I did, I was hurt. And I'm already a loner by nature, so I was fine, Jesus, without being friends. You made me get into these relationships with these people. Some of them I don't even know. Some of them we had nothing in common. But you put me in this church where they believe in these deep, meaningful relationships. I was fine all by myself. So I blame God for that. And you know how God works that out. How dare you? But, you know, God showed me, even in the midst of that attitude and that rant, James, think about it, though. Where would you be without those people in your life? How would you really know how to love if you didn't have someone difficult to love? It would just be right there on the surface. And we'd just be a church. we say, oh, I love you, bro. I love you, sis, you know, with our side hugs and stuff. And, and, and there's no depth to it. Because when, person, when someone says that they love you, you expect them to live up to that, Right? So I'm, I'm assuming that when I go through something because you said you love me and you really want to be my friend, you're going to be there for me when I need you. And when we start to question the depth of people's love when, when they're not around when we really need them. And so we invest in these relationships because we don't want to be just play church. We really want to be involved in helping each other to grow in Christ Jesus as much as we allow each other to. Because that's important. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. It's going to take sacrifice. But the payoff is huge. The payoff is huge. And we will find out, you know, I would be crazy to try to live life without covenant relationships. I'll tell you that right now. It would be crazy for me. I need people where I can just let my hair down and we just do some crazy things together. We don't always need to get together in Starbucks and have these deep, intense, tearful moments. I mean, I like to just hang out. It's just like, look, man, we, we're good. We can do crazy things together. We can hang out and have fun. But that can't be all that you do. You've got to have people in your life that's willing and that has the permission to also speak the truth and love to you. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But sometimes we, we just need friends that, that we can just do stupid things with, Right? Where we can just, you know, just laugh with and friends to build memories with and, and just to enjoy life with. You know, I love our men's retreats because sometimes the brothers, and we worked it into our schedule. We have Bible times and we have classes, but then we cut out a huge chunk of time in the day specifically to build memories. And we've done that. We've gone paintballing. We've done, we did bowling, we did movies, we almost got kicked out of a bowling alley, um, not for sinful reasons, but for other reasons, but we, we built memory, that's a memory. You know, we have bonfires, and we do things that, that, that brothers come back and they talk about. We play basketball together, we, we have, and there are times when brothers, a few brothers have shed some tears, I'm not going to say who, but some brothers have shed some tears at some of these events, and that was a good thing. It was memorable. And we've also seen brothers become Christians after being surrounded by men who were not afraid to be open and vulnerable with each other. You know, the Bible tells us to put off all falsehood and speak truthfully. When someone asks you how's it going, don't try to paint this picture of how you want them to see you. 
Because it's only a matter of time before God pulls down the curtain and shows what's really going on in your life. So you just be better off just saying, hey, I'm not doing so well in this area. And you talk it out. And if you're doing great, then you're doing great. I'm not saying that every time you talk, you got to draw up something that you, you know, you got to think of something. If you're doing great, then you know what? I'm actually doing great. Because we're walking with Jesus. So there are times in our life when things are great. And you'll see that you really need those friendships. When you go through those difficult times, you need friends that you can endure the cold spells in your life with. Because no one wants to go through a cold spell in life alone. And we need people that we can be, uh, we can, that will be there for us. There's the, they're the ones that are falling over themselves to bring food to your house when they find out, find out that you're sick. They're the ones, the first ones to call you when they find out that you're going through something. They're the first ones to reach out to you because they know that you're having a hard time. Those are the people that are close because you've invested in those relationships. And I think where people get hurt is when they don't invest in relationships and they have this expectation for people to be there just because they're part of the church. Now, just because we're in a family doesn't mean that things happen, again, organically. We have to invest in these relationships. We have to put time in these relationships. And this is a way we can also protect our own hearts because if you have these expectations but you're not close to anybody, then how will people know if you're sick? How will people know if you're going through something? And I think there are times when the Holy Spirit puts on our heart, puts someone on our heart, and we'll say, hey, give so-and-so a call. You ever just had that urge? And when you follow through on it, you realize, wow, but that should not be the norm. You get what I'm saying? Like, we can't sit around hoping that the Spirit tells somebody that we're going through something. No, you got to do your part. Pick up the phone. And look, technology can be a good thing for, for godly reasons. If you don't feel like talking to anybody, shoot them a text. Some of our smartphones, you don't even have to text. You just hit a microphone on your phone and just talking to the phone. Send Zalika a text. Pray for me. I'm struggling. So there's really no excuse. It doesn't matter how bad you're doing. Let somebody know. And you'd be surprised by how many people will be at your doorstep if you really express the need. We got to put the investment in. So I want to look at three rewards this week, and then next week we'll conclude the series with three rewards to these covenant relationships. So reward number one is personal growth. You know, I believe in our heart of hearts, we all want to grow, don't we? We all, we all want to change. We all want something in our life to improve. And I need you to ask yourself a question. Do your relationships now produce growth? Have they produced change in your life over the past, over the length of those relationships? Have you improved as a result of these people being in your life? You see, I believe that there needs to be an expectation of growth in our friendships, an expectation of growth in our relationships, people that are willing to have those hard conversations with us, those uncomfortable conversations with us. And see, the difference between a normal friendship and a covenant friendship is that a covenant friendship, they're willing to speak the truth and love to you. They're willing to call you back to the Bible, even when you don't want them to. There are times when we don't want to hear spiritual talk. We're going through something and we're like, I just don't need, I just don't need the Bible right now. I just need, and you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Before you judge those people, think about it for a second. Think about how God allowed some of his leaders to take a small break from the stress. Elijah ran away, went to his cave, and the Lord provided. The Lord didn't rebuke him in the cave. The Lord provided for him. The Lord gave him time. 
But then after a little while, God said, okay, what are you doing here? He wanted to know, he wanted Elijah to reflect on why am I here? Why did I run away? What drove me away? He wanted him to get in touch with what he was going through. So you, it's not enough to just take a break. You got to take a break for a reason. You know, even in Corinthians, Paul tells married couples to abstain from sex only for spiritual reasons. So there are reasons for us to take a little break, but it, even in that, we need to stay in a godly realm. Does that make sense? Have you ever been such good friends with someone that you don't want to challenge them? Because you're afraid that it could fracture the relationship? It's very clear in your eyes. You're like, man, this is, this is, this is consistent. But you love them so much. They've gone through so much. So you don't want to hurt them even further. And you got to ask yourself, are you being a real friend? You know, the Bible uses words like spur one another on. In Jude, it talks about snatching from the flames. Those are pretty violent things right there. And you got to understand that if that's not in your relationship, there's a chance that maybe that relationship has hit its, its plateau. Because early on, you know, I remember young, as a young Christian in, cam- in the campus ministry, we got in each other's faces. And it was uncomfortable. And I remember two brothers who studied the Bible with me about to go to blows at Bible talk. It, got, it was that deep. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are y'all doing? I mean, one guy was about 6'1", the other one was about 5'9", and they like, come on, the little one was the most rowdy one, and, and I'm thinking, what are y'all doing? But you know what? They had a real relationship. It was real. Now, it was, it was crazy to see that happening, but then afterward, they went in the room, they talked it out, they came out, they were good. They were good. And it was because one was trying to help the other one, and the, one, the other one didn't want to see it. And, and so they didn't just leave it there. They went and they worked it out. And, you know, sometimes sparks are going to fly in our relationships. It's going to happen. But we can't just be a safe place for people. We can't just be a place where people come and just tell us things that's going on and not challenge things in their life because they need you to. And if you see patterns, if you see habits, then you got to be a real friend and say, hey, can I talk to you? Because I'm seeing this pattern in your life, and I want to be a real friend to you. And I want to be a good brother to you. And there's a way you can bring up things that will keep the walls down, that will invite more conversation, that will encourage and help the person to want to listen to what you say, because at the end of the day, people don't know, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. This can happen in some marriages. The wives want to protect their husbands, they don't want to betray the trust, and so they don't say anything. And they're watching their husbands deteriorate spiritually. And their brothers that are willing to get in there and help them, but they don't say anything because their husband didn't give them permission to. And their wife is a safe place, but he's not growing. It's not a good place to be. That's not a good place to be. You can't avoid conflict so much that you're not willing to get help. Now, I'm not saying that you go and tell everybody your private business. That's not what I'm saying. But there are spiritual things that we are, and I believe God will hold us accountable in our marriages for not pointing out things or ringing the alarm bell when we saw it. Who else? Who else is in your spouse's life more than you? Who sees them in HD 4K better than you? You see all the real stuff at home. You know the real them. I can't hide me when I go home. So Lincoln knows exactly who I am. You better not say nothing about her. But she knows exactly who I am. I, don't, I, I can't hide anything. And so, but she also knows 
that she can talk to people if she sees that there's something going on with James. No one's going to pray harder for me. No one's going no to be in my corner more than my wife. And so I have to give her the power, the authority, the go-ahead. If you see me in sin, you pick up the phone, you do whatever you got to do, you help me. That's love. That's love. Because ask yourself, can we really grow if we don't push each other to grow? It's the reason why sports teams have coaches. It's the reason why we have personal trainers. Because we need people to push us past our comfort zone. When's the last time you had someone push you past your comfort zone? To get you to do something you didn't feel good about doing, but you knew it was the right thing to do. That, you better make that person your best friend. David and Jonathan had such a relationship. And we see that they, they grew through their relationship. When you compare the two, David, his strength was he loved God. He was very expressive with God. You read through his Psalms, David was very expressive with God. He trusted and relied on God. But his weaknesses were that he, he was not very relational. You know, he was a shepherd. He was out in the field alone a lot. He didn't need anybody, or he felt like he didn't need anybody. So he wasn't, a, he wasn't an initiator. He wasn't the guy to reach out. He was alone most of the time. And you look at Jonathan, though, and you notice that Jonathan loved David. He was very relational. He, 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 he kept initiating with David. As we saw over the past couple of weeks, he would reach out to David. He initiated the covenant relationship with David. But then we realize some of his weaknesses, though, is that we don't really see him mentioning God. We don't really see that. Why did David go against Goliath? He said, for the glory of God. Right? And so we don't see him mention God as much as David. And perhaps he was not as spiritually or as God-focused. He was the king. He was the prince. He was next in line. He had a lot of people around him all the time. And so we see the differences between the two. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41... It says that after the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept, but David wept the most. David wept the most. That's growth right there. Because now it's showing that David is allowing himself to be more expressive in the relationship. Whereas before, it was mostly Jonathan. And now we see that David is very expressive, and, and he may not have been as expressive before. And so we see some growth right here. We see that Jonathan meant so much to David that he was willing to show it. He was willing to express it. It all came out. But then we also see some personal growth in Jonathan. 1 Samuel 23, verse 15 and 16. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Here we see now some growth in Jonathan. He's helping his friend David do what? Find strength in God. Where we've mostly seen David being the one that was more connected, more expressive of God, more uh, expressive of his relationship with God. Now we see Jonathan initiating, reaching out to David to help him find strength in the Lord. You know, early on, I think David's relationship with God inspired Jonathan. And sometimes that's how it is with our relationships. Maybe you don't have those, those great quiet times that you would like to or your prayers, you don't feel your prayers are as powerful and then you, you partner up with someone and, and you, you get to hear about what they're studying in their Bible and you're like, wow, how do you know your Bible so well? And, and it can be inspiring, right? And, and then you pray, you listen to this person pray and, and then you're like, wow, I want to pray like that. And then you start to grow, you spend more time with that person and before you know it, your prayers are powerful. Your Bible study has gotten better because there's growth that's expected 
in a relationship. The hope is that eventually there's a 50-50. That there's not a, always an over-under in our relationship, but you want to grow. You want to know that, man, I, I've reached a spiritual level now where you can consider me a peer. And we see Jonathan is grown in his relationship with God, and so has David. I believe that this is why God puts people in our lives, so that we rub off on each other. God puts, see, I was such a loner that as an early Christian, I struggled with my evangelism. And God put men in my life who didn't. And I would be amazed at how these guys would just start a conversation with a stranger on the train. I'm thinking, man, that seemed kind of rude, but it's rude for Jesus, so I guess that's okay. You know, my first disciple partner, we'd be on the train on our way to a Bible study, and there's a guy sitting next to him reading the newspaper, and he just leans over and says, hey, can I, are you finished with the sports section? And I'm thinking, man, that's bold. Like, I would never think to do something like that. And then, you know, a week or two later, I tried the same thing. I'm thinking, man, you know what? It worked for him, so maybe it'll work for me. And I tried to say, excuse me, are you finished with the sports section? And the person was like, oh, oh okay. Like, they, they were like, who asked for the sports section in the newspaper? And we got to take, you know, start up a conversation. I'm thinking, wow, this really works. But he rubbed off on me. He, he rubbed off. And, and so I think that these relationships God has us in, where our strengths and our weaknesses, God allows us, you know, if, if we're investing in these relationships, eventually we'll rub off on each other in a good way. In a good way. And I believe that that's what we need. You know, these people, some of them are stronger than us. Some of them are weaker than us. But I believe we can learn from each other. And God has set these up so that we can. In 1 Samuel 23, verses 17 and 18, you know, the last recorded time that we see David and Jonathan together, it says that the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. So now we see that both of them has grown because now it's not just Jonathan making a covenant with David. It's the two of them making a covenant with each other. And that's growth. That's growth when when there's mutuality. That's what we want. We want there to be a mutual growth in our relationship where we're both growing, where it's not just me helping you, but you're also helping me. And that's what the goal is for these covenant relationships is that we want there to be growth in the both of us. And God blesses that. You know, they really had to learn from each other. And when I think back about all the men and the women as well that God has put in my life, I thank God for that because eventually, you know, if you kind of go through life all the time as a loner, it's amazing how you can be in a room this size and still feel alone. And that should never be the case. And so eventually you start to learn to initiate relationships or you start to learn how to reach out to people. And that's a good thing because just just being okay with being a loner is not good. It's not good. And it's not always good to feel like you're all you're always initiated. Because doesn't it feel good when somebody calls you and say that they're thinking about you? Because eventually in your heart, you can start to resent that, right? It's like, how come I'm always calling people? When is somebody going to call me? When is somebody going to reach down and help me out? And so it does feel good when someone says, hey, bro, I was thinking about you. How are you doing? What can I pray for with you? I'm like, wow, you know, amen. Uh, 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 you, and you get stumped because you're not used to it, right? But it's good when people initiate with you. It makes you feel, man, I'm, I, I feel loved because... They said that I'm on their heart and on their minds. And so we don't want to just stay. We don't want to stay uh, as loners. You know, the Bible's full of Proverbs that talks about this. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. You know, there's going to be blind spots in our lives. Uh, God puts these people in our lives, our spouses, our friends, our family, to help us grow. He doesn't want us to have blind spots. So he puts people in our lives to help fill in those blind spots. Hebrews 11.34, you know, people uh, whose weaknesses were turning to strengths. There's an expectation of growth right there, that our weaknesses become strengths. Um, the goal is always to become, overcome these weak areas in our lives. You can't just ignore your area and say, oh, well, you know, that's my struggle. Yeah, you got to 
work on, have a plan to turn that into a strength. And sometimes that involves other people that can help you turn those weaknesses into strengths. Um, you know, there's always some mutual blind spots in each other's relationship. And that's sometimes when God realizes that we've, we've reached a point in our relationship, okay, well now there are mutual blind spots, they've helped each other go as far as they could, God introduces somebody else in your life. And then that new person comes in and they see a whole other set of blind spots and you're like, man, here we go again. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You know, sometimes we get so used to these relationships that we don't like change. And sometimes God puts somebody in who can help us to see, wait, wait a second, there's some more blind spots there. And this person can help you with those. And we need to thank God for those people. We need to thank God for those relationships. Uh, the relationships where they're shaping our, char our character, they're helping us to grow. And so we got to thank God for that. You know, when I think about my character and as, a, as a, my walk as a disciple, I thank God for a lot of these people who helped shape me the way I am, to who I am today, and for the people who are continuing to shape me. You know, this guy right here is named Gino, uh, Gino Hippolto. He studied the Bible with me. He showed me Jesus. This guy was so loving. He knew his Bible, and he just painted a picture of Jesus that I wanted to follow. And he was in my life for only a short while, but he had a lasting impact. We're, we're still close friends to this day. Our birthday, we were born the same day, the same year, and he lives in Australia. It's amazing how God can put people in your life from another continent. But thank God for the time that people are in your life. When you're investing in growth in a relationship, you take what you can while people are in your life. This brother right here, Mike Sage. He was the first person to teach me leadership. He taught me how to lead a Bible talk. Eventually, he taught me how to lead the campus ministry. We had great times. I learned a lot. This was the guy who, the bold guy who asked people, hey, can I read the sports section? I learned a lot about evangelism from this guy. He was super bold. We would run through traffic. He hated being late. We would run through traffic so we could be on time for Bible stuff. He would walk up to anybody and share his faith. And I'm standing there like a, a deer in headlights thinking, how is he doing that? But it rubbed off on me. And, and it's because of him, I, I take risk and in, 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 I've grown in my evangelism. James McPherson was the first person to teach me leadership in the church. When I started interning in the church, he was the first minister to really show me what it meant to be a real minister. To, to, to be all things, to become all things to all people. He, he worked on those rough edges in my life that the other two brothers didn't have the time to. God put him in my life to work on some of those rough edges, and I thank God for him. Mark Thompson. You know, Mark Thompson, it was funny because this is the one, one of those relationships where it's like God put something new in your life, and you're like, why? <laughs> like, Okay, what am I supposed to learn from him, Lord? And let me tell you something. God has a way of dealing with that kind of pride. He has probably been, he's probably one of the most spiritual guys I've ever had disciple me. He's deep. He's thoughtful. He's vulnerable. He's humble. And he's not afraid to use his talents for God. And I prayed. Eventually, it went from me being like, why to God? If I ever was appointed evangelist, I want him to do it. And he was the one who appointed me evangelist almost 20 years ago. Um, and then, you know, Sam and Cynthia Powell. Sam and Cynthia has been in our lives from the first year we were married, kind of off and on. Uh, but they have set, had such an impact on our lives, shaping us. You know, Sam has breathed a lot of faith, a lot of vision um, a, a lot of humor into my life. You know, Sam, Sam is the kind of person, he sees the big picture, he sees it with faith, but then he also has, a, he has such a, a faith that you can laugh at days to come. Like, you know, this Bible talks about, and, and, and I'm like, man, this is, a, this is a great man to have in my life, especially with someone who's grown up without a father figure. You need somebody in your life that can be sort of like a spiritual dad to you. 
And that's the role that Sam played in my life. Sam and Cynthia both, they're like our spiritual parents. You know, we have some great conversations, and we've had some hard conversations, some hard talks. I've taken like pages of notes of things I had to work on, and I'm like, good Lord. But it was, it's good when it comes from people who love you, and they have proven that they loved us and our family. Steve and Lee Kennard, God put them in a time, put them in our lives at a time where we needed help with our children, where we need, we know, just new parents, and we're going through different transitions, and Steve has been uh, uh, a constant uh, go-to whenever I have my bouts of depression. I can call him anytime, anytime, and he'll make himself available to me. And that, you need people like that in your life where you're not inconveniencing you and, and, and them, and they give you that permission. Call me anytime. And I can throw up all over Steve spiritually, and he will not budge. He'll not think I'm crazy. He'll just sit there, he'll listen, and bring me back to earth. We all need people like that in our lives that can talk us off the ledge. Amen? And then these are our two dear friends, Robert and Dawn. We've been through everything together. I've known Dawn the longest of probably all my spiritual friends. We've been friends now for over 23 years. And I kind of introduced her to her husband, so that's kind of, you know, you know, I, I, got, I got the credit for that one. But, um, but they're our friends. We, we hung out with them last Sunday. They're just our dearest friends. A constant iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. A true friend. We help each other with our marriage. We help each other with our kids. And sometimes it's like this. Sometimes they're in a better place and we need them, and sometimes we're in a better place, they need us. But you need those people who are, like we say, ride or die. People who are down for you no matter what. Robert has been in every single trial in my life since our friendship. He's never shied away. He's always been the first, one of the first people to call, always been one of the first people to show up, always been one of the first people to say, hey, let's just go hang out, always I mean, just simply reliable. Why? Because we invest in each other. We invest in each other. You need people like this in your life. People who you can hang out with, you can cry with, people who can point out and say things to you that you know, if anybody else said it, it will probably be a brawl. But because you know they love you, you'll take it. And you take it right on the chin. Because you know it's coming from somebody who has my best interest in life. Ephesians 4.13, until we become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Until you reach that maturity, you're going to need people in your life. You're going to need people in your life. Colossians 1.28, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ Jesus. You know, what is the area of personal growth that you attribute to discipling in your relationship? What is the area? Where can you point to in your life and say, I've grown because of the discipling relationships that God put in my life? We should all have areas in our lives that have grown because of spiritual people being involved. The second reward is, you know, it's one thing for people to invest in us, but then we also get to leave a legacy behind um, by investing in other people. It's not just about your personal growth, but it's also about helping other people grow. And I think that this is probably one of, the, one of my favorite rewards about being a disciple is that, man, not only have people invested in but I get to help other people. And I get to be there for other people. John 14, verse 12 says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works, do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Now, Jesus was inspiring his disciples, his apostles, letting them know anyone that follows me will be able to do what I've done and more. Because Jesus' time was short here on earth. And you and I get to have a greater impact than Jesus. You may not be able to give the blind person back their sight, but man, you can reach so many more lives than Jesus had. And, and we get to have things, we get to have an impact uh, and, and, and a continual impact as God works through us in other people's lives. But that takes investment. That takes all of us having the mindset that I'm going to pour into others what was poured into me. And that's a call for every disciple, young and old. All of us, God expects for us to invest in someone. Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring yourself into? 
Now, obviously, you can't only be pouring into others. Someone has to be pouring into you as well. But you got to be giving away what was given to you. That's how faith grows. You give it away so that it gets stronger in your own life. And I know you're saying, well, James, that's easy for Jesus to say because it was Jesus. So Jesus, you know, of course, he trained and he multiplied. But you know what? So did Paul. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15 and 17. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. Paul was training Timothy for the next generation. Paul wasn't so insecure as to say, no, 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 I need to do everything. No, Paul invested in the next generation. The next generation, you would be surprised what our young people can teach us. I find myself asking my son questions. And he's eight years old. My daughter has taught me some things. And I'm thinking, well, okay, I feel really old right now. But you'd be surprised what the younger generation can teach you. You know, there's that show that was on TV, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? You ever watch that show? You ever tried to answer some of the questions? I'm like, wow, I am not smarter than a fifth grader. I remember taking a college course, and the math teacher was, you know, talking about PEMDAS. And I'm like, what the world is PEMDAS? Like, there's no PEMDAS when I was doing math. And, and then I go home and I talk, and my daughter's like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, this, this. I'm like, how did I not know that? Like, is this something new? Is this some, you know, some, some new common core thing? And I'm like, what is that? And she explained it. You'd be surprised what the next generation can teach us. Paul knew that he couldn't let, the kingdom was too big to just rest on his shoulders alone. We have got to entrust the church with our younger generation. We have got to inspire them to make God real and relevant in their time. They don't want to keep hearing what you did 25 years ago. The church is a totally different church right now. But what they need to see is that God is still real in your life and he's still relevant in your life because otherwise they don't want to be a part of that. They don't want phony Christianity. They want a Christianity that's relevant right now. If they read their Bibles from their phone, so what? It's not, you know, I know sometimes I make, uh, make fun of it, but I'm like, look, if that's what makes them spiritual, they can, as long as you're reading your Bible, as long as you're reading your Bible, we got to help them make it relevant for them today. They need to feel like this church belongs to them as well. And the only way they'll do that is by us investing in them. Us investing in them. This is why we ask Dylan and Diamond Stanislaus to invest in the team ministry. We want to invest in these young people. Dylan, they, they, they were spiritually born and raised here. This is a great cup. I mean, we've got to invest in them, support them, ask them, hey, guys, what do you need? What can we do to help you? And especially if you're parents of teens, you definitely have got to invest because they're helping your children get to see God in ways that maybe you and I can't. And I thank God for young couples like that. See, this is a reward that we have. Paul trained Timothy. And what did Timothy do? Paul said, okay, Timothy, look, it can't stop with you either. Okay, so he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, what? Entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul is encouraging Timothy to invest in the next generation. You know, Paul... You first you have Jesus, and then Jesus invested in Paul, and then Paul, he invested in Timothy, and then Timothy invested in reliable people, and did it stop right there? No. Invest in others. Now, you may be like, well, James, I can't like, relate to Paul. You know, I'm not. Okay, well, then maybe you, can, maybe, maybe you can relate to Timothy. Well, James, I can't really relate to Timothy. You know, he was just say, well, maybe you can relate to some of the reliable people. Well, James, I haven't been reading my Bible for a while, bro. I'm not, you know, I'm not that strong. Well, maybe you're the others. The point is, nobody is left out. Everybody is expected 
to invest in the future. You know, I don't consider myself a strong evangelistic person. But when God does use me, I always look at it as I'm investing in the future. And maybe you find yourself, well, James, I'm not really that good at initiating. Well, then get with somebody who is, and together the both of you can invest in the future. But we got to pour ourselves out. This is a reward that I believe is one of the most rewarding parts of being a Christian. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, it says, After all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns? It is you. You know, Paul considered the people that they reached out to, that they poured themselves into to be their great reward. It was a worthwhile investment, but it takes time and it takes investment. And, you know, we go back to David and Jonathan's relationship here. You know, there was an expectation that it would be passed on. And, you know, and rightfully, Jonathan should have been the one to succeed Paul as Saul as king. But he understood God's plan for David. He knew that God didn't choose him. And so instead of trying to fight for that position, Jonathan humbly passed it on to David. Now God had already made that clear that David was to be Israel's next king. But Jonathan got his heart behind it. And he says, I will be second to you. I'm going to take a step back so that you can become greater. And I think for us, those of us who have been around for a long time, there's this fear of us being put out the pasture. We, we, we want to hold on to a, a position of influence because we don't, want to just, we don't want to just be forgotten. And here's the thing. The Lord has not forgotten what you've done. God will never forget every kind act, every kind word, every plate of food you bought, everything, every door you, every door you held for somebody to come through, every prayer you offered up on behalf of someone else. God remembers. God remembers. But you got to let go. You got to let go. The reason why we're here is because someone let go so that you and I can step forward. They invested in us so that you and I can keep the church going. And that's what we need to do in our relationships. We got to invest in each other. And then lastly, another reward is avoiding the pitfalls of a closed system. Well, James, what does that mean? That means you've closed yourself off from other relationships. You know, this reward is not necessarily a reward, so to speak. This is more a, an opportunity to avoid tragic crises in your life. And that's a, re that's a good reason to invest in covenant relationships because you want to be proactive. You don't just want people in your life to help you deal with crises. You also want people in your life to help you avoid them. To avoid making tragic decisions and mistakes. And, and, you know, a lot of these things we catch in these discipling relationships. When we're talking to people, when we're opening up about what we're thinking and we're feeling, and we're like, whoa, 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 did you, did you think about that? Did you really think that through? Because that doesn't sound like it's going to work to me. And usually it gives us, a, you know, gives us a moment to just pause and rethink and pray things over because we have people in our lives that we filter things through that can help us catch some of these things. I mean, if you're the type of person that once you put your mind to something, nobody can turn you away, you absolutely need people in your life. Because once we make our mind up, we can have what's called circular reasoning. Once you decide that, this is true, and it's gonna, you can convince yourself that you're right all the time. And so you need someone in your life that can help you break that cycle. And it's important. That's why God has given us the Proverbs. You look at some of these Proverbs. Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in life, it, is, it leads to death. Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever uh, isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In Proverbs 22, verse 3, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. 
You know, we need to be able to look ahead and think about, okay, what is this decision? What kind of impact is this decision going to have on my life five years from now? Usually, when you have a group of people that's in your life and invested in not just your present life, but your future life, and you run those decisions by them, they can help you see that picture a lot clearer than you could on your own. And sometimes, you know, we, we, don't, we don't think ahead. You know, I made a decision an emotional decision over 15 years ago that I'm still paying for today because I didn't listen. I just knew in my mind this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. I should have done it a long time ago, and it was the wrong decision. And I didn't listen to the person who was trying to give me some insight, who's, who was looking down the road and thinking, well, maybe you should do this instead. I mean, don't you think that this, but in my mind, I'm like, no, that's going to take too much time. And so I went with that decision and didn't even get to finish what I started out to. And I'm still paying for it today. So I can speak from conviction about this. A prudent man sees danger and he takes refuge. You can kind of see some of these pitfalls ahead. And in Proverbs 26, verse 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. That's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. You know, I'm glad that some of that stuff is in the Bible because if you try to call somebody a fool, that's you asking for a fight. The Bible uses words like fool and stupid. And I'm like, look, that's what it says. That's why when I show someone those scriptures, I have them read it. Like, here, read that. The Bible say right there. Because if it's coming from you, oh, you think I'm stupid? Just read it right there. You let them read it. But let me tell you something, a closed system. You're not letting anyone help you with your way of thinking. And you have this cycle, and you make bad, one bad decision after another, after another, after another, because in your mind you've convinced yourself that you know what's best for you. And when you've already made that decision, then every decision you make, even when you're getting advice, you're only listening to the ones that's already validating what you've already come, you know, the conclusion you've already drawn to yourself. You made up in your mind, this is what I'm going to do. I'll seek advice for the sake of seeking advice because that is in the Bible. But I already know what I'm going to do. And look, let me tell you something. It doesn't feel good when people don't agree with you. It doesn't. There was a time my wife and I was planning to move to uh, Pennsylvania. And I was like, hey, it sounds good to me. The grass is greener, the houses are cheaper, and the people are far away from you. There's distance. I can have a lawn. People actually have to plan to come visit instead of just showing up. That's where I was at. I'm, hey, that's where I was at. And, and let me tell you, it all sounds good. I'm out there researching. I'm like, this is awesome. This is, the school system is better. Everything. I mean, we got Zalika's parents there, so we need, we need babysitting. I mean, that's just, oh, it's just great. And then I ran it by this one brother. And he said, James, I believe if you move there, you're going to fall away. And I'm thinking, what? I felt offended by that. Like no one has ever told me in my walk with Jesus that they thought I was going to fall away. And he said it just like that. Now, his tone was lovingly. He said, bro, I, I think it's a bad idea. And I said, yeah, but bro, and I'm still, you know, I'm pleading my case. I'm like, but this, 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 this. He said, and the reason why I think it's a bad idea is because you'll be alone and you'll be isolated. He knew me well enough to know that I was a loner, that I wouldn't initiate, and that I would be okay being by myself. But you know how he knew that? This wasn't a brother like Robert Brace who had been in my life for years. He wasn't even Sam Powell. He, wasn't, he didn't even study the Bible with me. This was a good brother who I allowed in and gave permission 
to speak the truth in love to me. And when my spiritual state was at the time, he just knew I need to say something. And I thank God he spoke up to this very day. Because you don't know. You don't know. We all want to think that we're firm until we're not. And doesn't the Bible warn us of that? Right? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he also provides a way out so that you can endure it. If you think that you're standing firm, you got to be careful. And I had to be careful because I thought I was firm enough to be able to go to a totally different state with no real relationships and think that I was going to be okay. And I thank God that there was someone who loved me enough to say, bro, I don't think that's a good idea. In fact, I think it's a bad idea, a very bad idea. And we need people in our lives that can help us get unstuck, people that can really help us to grow. In our marriages, we can get stuck. In our relationships, our dating relationships, if we have this closed system, we don't allow people to influence us, we don't allow people to direct us, it can lead to some serious sin. And in your marriage, the same thing. Who can come in and help you? Who are you giving eyes to that can say, hey, you know what? I think you need to work on that. I think you guys can help that. The way you spoke to your wife right there, bro, that was not loving. Sis, the way you responded to your husband, that was very disrespectful. Who can be that blunt with you? And let's take it even deeper. Who can talk to you about your children? Hey, you know what? Can I, you know, you go sign in. Get your kid after the last song like we do every week. Hey, can I talk to you? And we already got our wall. What are they going to talk about? Not my baby. Let's talk about your kids. I taught last semester and I seen some things. And before they even get the word out, we already got our defense prepared. We already got our defense prepared. We got to be allowed to be in each other's lives, to speak the truth. We see things that we don't see. Some people see things that you don't see. And we need these blind spots filled up in our life. You know, we need the pressure released in our lives. We need to have, we need to have those, those pressures. We can't just be fine all the time. You're not fine all the time. You're not. And you need people in your life that can help you. And, you know, sometimes it may feel that, man, you know, I'm the only one going through this. And nobody understands what I'm going through. You may feel like it's not normal. Let me tell you something. You're more normal than you think. You may feel like you stand out like a sore thumb, like nobody understands what you're going through. But you're more normal than you think. You know, I remember one time early on in our marriage, Zalika and I, we had this bump. And we were talking to Sam and Cynthia. And at the end of what we were both sharing, they started laughing. And I'm like, why is he laughing? This ain't funny. I'm thinking this is serious. You know, I'm like, this is, this is serious. And they just like, they started laughing. And they weren't laughing at us. They were laughing with us because they're like, man, we've been there, guys. You guys are going to be all right. You guys are going to be okay. And then they open up and share. And I'm like, wow, so we're not the only ones. And, and this is normal. And this is okay. You know, and you just have to trust that when things aren't normal, that the people who love you will tell you, okay, that's not normal within the realm of marriage. But everybody has something they're dealing with. Everybody. All right? Everybody has something they're dealing with, and you may be more normal than you realize. God is faithful, and he will provide a way out so that we can let this steam blow off. You can't keep pressing things in. You can't keep pushing them things away and avoiding conflict. You got to talk things out. Otherwise, you're going to blow up and things get real ugly and then no one's going to be able to help you because now you've pushed everybody away. And so we got to release that steam each time, avoiding these blow-ups. And God gives us a way to do that through these relationships. When we can talk things out, 
when we can get open about and get honest about what we're feeling. And let me just be clear on something about openness. When the Bible talks about Matthew 18, show your brother if he sinned against you, you got to be able to identify what the sin is. Openness doesn't mean that you just blah all over people and accuse. There's a difference between being open, a point out of sin, and accusing. And I've been there where I've accused someone because I assumed that it was a sin against me. When it's really just me. And I've done that in my marriage, and I've had to apologize to my wife because I assumed the worst of her. I didn't give her the benefit of the doubt. And so by me retaliating is really what it was. It wasn't really openness. Because openness opens up the conversation for reconciliation. And when we're, when we're accusing each other, that, that really puts a strain on our relationships. And it keeps people from wanting to get close to you. And we got to be honest with ourselves enough to know, okay, you know what? What's my part in this? Remember what we talked about last week? How my relationship with my brother, I was, it was his sin was so clear to me. And I couldn't see my own until I stepped back and prayed and asked God, okay, God, show me my part in this. Because I know it takes two. And help us to get reconciled. And so as we're working on these relationships with each other, as we're reaping these rewards in our relationship, let's make sure that we're loving each other. That the motivation is love. And when we open up to each other, we're reaching out to each other because we don't want this relationship to fall victim to Satan. We want God to get in and help us out. So next week, there's more to come. We'll talk about the rest of the rewards. God be the glory.